Hello and welcome to the Advertising Week Europe podcast sponsored by MWW. My name is John Reynolds, the host. Uh, we're going to be broadcasting these podcasts every day for the duration of Adweek Europe. Uh, later, we're talking to Curtis Nishijima, the MD across Europe at Adara, the travel data company. But first up, we're joined by Oliver Lewis, Managing Director of The Fifth, which is News UK's new influencer marketing company. Uh, thanks a million for joining me, thanks, uh, Oliver. You are very welcome. So The Fifth has actually launched today. So t- tell us all about it then. Yeah, very exciting. Today marks, uh, I suppose, the end of eight months of uh, development into a new business. So we launched The Fifth today as, a, as an independent influencer marketing agency, of course, backed by News UK, but very much independent in the sense that we hope to uh, launch and help professionalise the space. We have... Um, at a time when influencer marketing is growing and we're at this incredible inflection point, we think there's a huge opportunity to align our existing skills and our expertise in storytelling with some of the amazing talent we have already in the building um, and, and create a, um, a new and incremental business that will help future-proof um, all of the new UK ecosystem, really, both in terms of audiences, content and our commercial marketing business. So you said it's, it's independent, it but you, 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 you're actually sat within News UK, are they? I mean, what, why yeah. is it important to say it's independent? Does I think it's, not... Yeah, it's important because I think it could be um, convoluted or confused with an in-house agency that works sure. just exclusively with our brands or as part of our brand and content solution, when actually the ambition is we've set this up as an entirely separate business to bring on its own clients. And whilst we'll be working with our internal marketing teams and become the retained agency for the likes of The Times and, and other affiliate businesses, it's actually, and we'll be working with our internal bridge team to do integrated cross uh, cross planning. We we very much see this as an opportunity to create a new business at a time when I think influencer marketing agencies, no one has really taken a, a grapple of the of the space at the moment. Um, and we think we're in a really good place to do that. So, I mean, you mentioned it's a growing space and there are a number of uh, influencer agencies yeah. out there. I mean, two things. What's your point of difference and why can't Brands just uh, work directly with influencers, and influencers work directly with brands. Why do they need to go through you? Yeah, I think I think that's a, take that second point. I think it's a really good point. So there's going to be a lot of in-housing at brands, and I think that the, the talent will increasingly start to connect with the brands direct, and we think that's no threat to the, to agencies or the space. The fact is that influencer marketing is quite complex. There's many nuances of it. You're, it's a human-based medium, so building those relationships on both sides is high resource. It's high touch. Um, and, and managing and executing those campaigns, including um, the talent identification, the management, the creative delivery, the measurement, the logistics of it, it actually, is, as I said, it's quite, it's quite an, a lot to deliver for brands, and we're there to support them. So what we will be doing is actually the opposite of what most agencies do. We want to, to build relationships with the talent of the brands. We want to put them in the same room, and we want to foster that collaboration and that inclusive spirit, because I think that's when the brands and talent work together with an agency like that. We get the best, most authentic results in this space and we believe that it's about time it moves from this transient um, one-size-fits-all campaign mm-hmm. narrative towards real storytelling sequential messaging and and longer-term partnerships um, and we think again the way that we understand how to work with talent and how we understand brands big brands and their objectives puts us in a nice position to, to work with both and have you signed anyone up so far you've got a minimum haven't you looking here the the single influencer campaign starts off at 50,000 ranging up to 200,000 yeah. have you got anybody on board so far yeah so we're, we're in discussions with brands at the moment but we're very much at the start of that we, we're quite considered about wanting to work with 
a, a few brands on longer term partnerships and build bigger programs with them. I mean, that, you know, to say there's a 50 grand entry point is really because we believe in order to execute meaningful campaigns and drive advocacy in this space, you actually need to invest more, as I said, and work with the talent over a longer period of time. So this is about working with fewer brands, uh, identifying the right talent, and we mm -hmm. have... Um, uh, we have a sister company, Cork, um, that we are strategic partners with that will help us to identify the right talent. Um, and we just believe that uh, moving forward, it's about selecting the right brands and the right talent, not trying to work with absolutely everyone. So we're quite considered. We're going to enter this space uh, carefully and strategically. Okay, and what constitutes uh, an influencer nowadays? Is that like having 20,000 followers on Twitter? Or? That's a really good point. I, so part of our whole campaign narrative and our launch is that we think we need to move away from reach and discussions right. around micro, macro and celebrity. That The whole space has been traded on total follower reach and scale for really for too long. And actually, we don't believe reach equals true influence. What we instead want to do is reframe it towards the sphere of influence, the stories, the causality, the format that this talent has. So we cherish you know, real authentic storytellers um, who are showcasing a talent, who are original voices and who are really influencing culture. So actually, it's not about your scale. It's actually, um, we've redefined the world through nine faces and, uh, of influence and we think that's probably more important moving forward than talking about how many followers you have. So who would be, I mean, as an example, yeah. who would be a, a follower, who would you work with as an influencer? Who, who would be a typical example? Um, so, so great examples are the likes of Alex Steadman, The Frugality and Instagram. Um, we work with the likes of humorists and comedians like the Scummy Mummies, who we think have got an incredible podcast and a really authentic voice. Um, editors and, and journalists who have become uh, influencers by, by chance and accident, likes of Catherine Ormerod, for example. Okay. Um, we, also, uh, we also like people like, in, in our own building, journalists like Giles Corrin, who you know, is a traditional broadcaster and journalist in his own right, but is someone that has uh, a real tone and parenting format across his Instagram, for example. And so it's about um, understanding their sphere of influence uh, outside of, of just being an influencer selling products. Presumably you wouldn't work with anyone who espouses controversial views, I don't know, extreme right-wing or left-wing views. I'm thinking about the guy off, is it Paul Watson off InfoWars or, or Katie Hopkins, someone like that. I presume no, there'd be a no-no, no, would they? No, I don't think so. I, 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 ultimately... Um, no, this is about matching the right brand with the right fit. If a brand came about and wanted someone who was opinionated and controversial, and there are brands out there that want to do that, then we have to take that in, into respect. We, it's about the absolute perfect fit and the right ambassador for that brand. Naturally, you know, brand safety and protecting the brand's interest is, is of high importance in this space. And so what we don't do is just rely on data and technology to identify um, their personality traits. We use an in-depth, we use journalist insight and analysis and in-depth human intelligence to really look into their background. So we would be able to identify, Katie Hopkins is an example where most people understand she's controversial, but there are certain talent and, and storytellers out there where the data wouldn't tell that story. And, and that's what we we're going to be bringing to life through our uh, profiling platform and through our sister company, Cork. Okay, so I guess with all growing industries, um, there are there has been teething, there has been some issues about uh, fake followers and influencers uh, buying followers. I know, I think Keith Weed at Unilever has been quite vocal and vociferous about this. I mean, how can you ensure that the influencers you work with haven't been buying followers? Yeah. Uh, 
It is. It's a threat to its credibility and and, uh, and talent certainly have been buying followers over the years. So what we've done is partnered with a really exciting Australian company called Q83, mm-hmm. um, who have created, who have direct API access into the platforms and have created an audience authentication platform, which will allow us to authenticate, which actually puts the onus on the talent to subscribe and to share their data. So we have a unilateral and independent platform that where all of their data is ported, where we can see their follower growth, we can see their true reach. And we we can really understand and use insight to understand their audiences properly. Now, what this allows us to do is to check whether there is fraud, whether there are fake followers and red flags. It allows the talent to answer that. Mm-hmm. And I think really important as we move forward, we need to accept that people have, there are misdemeanors and people have made mistakes in the past. And I'd mm-hmm. rather we um, we expose those, share those, and move on from them so that we can have a you know more habitable ecosystem. So Q83 is a really exciting business. It will allow us to be fully transparent, allow the talent to be fully transparent, and, uh, and we can be sure to our brands that all the audiences are either real or we can declare when they're not. In a way, I'm just sort of thinking out of the box, it's quite bizarre or unusual that News UK has got involved in this because in a way, uh, in the old days, influencers would communicate via uh, the media, wouldn't they? The Times yeah. and, the, and yeah. the Sun. But they're kind of, by, back in, you're kind of bypassing uh, the journalist, in a way, are you? So I think the point is that um, we've realised that, uh, that these social storytellers and influencers, uh, as a catch-all term, are disrupting our editorial ecosystem already. You know, they're yeah. commanding huge audiences. They are the, yeah. the social storytellers of tomorrow can become the mainstream talent of, of today. And I think, so what we've got to do is find ways to discover them, invest in them, and bring them into our titles. We shouldn't be afraid. We should be working with them. Look, we, we as a news organisation, yeah, we were journalists are the original influencers, but we, therefore we shouldn't be forgetting what the, the influencer of tomorrow looks like and uh, and looking for ways to partner with them. So this isn't just about an advertising business. Like as I said, this is a, certainly a, an audience future-proofing business too. Okay. And the size of the business, I mean, it's, it, it's new, so fairly small. Can you yeah. talk a bit about the ambitions or where you see, where you see yourself in, in 12 months' time? Yeah, we're very ambitious. We've started with a, you know, a relatively small team of um, around 10 of us, but, but that's core to the fifth. And uh, we're also then connected to the wider News UK creative, production, insight and social team so that we have, you know, have a much broader team being able to tap into. The ambitions are that as we build our client roster that we'll build out the account teams. I think ultimately we want this to be not just a UK-based business. We believe this is scalable through the rest of News Corp and as a influencer marketing is a global proposition. The talent are global and the brands want to operate globally and, uh, and we believe that we're very well placed within our uh, within News Corp family to, to bring an influencer marketing proposition to the territories. So, um, we're very ambitious. Uh, okay, and last point on this. I think other publishers which have... Um dip the toes in here, uh, have actually bought companies, haven't they? What's the advantage of actually launching your own as opposed to News UK uh, uh, buying in a, a, an influencer marketing company? In truth, we've, um, we've been able to spend the last 12 months uh, taking stock of the challenges and the past successes. And what we didn't want to do is be a platform uh, or a marketplace. We wanted to be a high-touch uh, agency business. We don't believe there's anybody out there that is able to operate in the way that yep. we could build ourselves. We're about storytelling. We're playing to our own existing strengths. Um, so I don't think there was any more fit, fit purpose and we didn't want to launch a technology business um, as such. So what we have done, though, is, is strategically partner with Cork and Q83, which gives us incredible bedrock. 
Okay, so aside from that, we're, the theme of this is Adweek Europe. Yep. Obviously, you were presenting today. I mean, is Adweek Europe is that a, a key conference for you? How does it compare to yeah. other conferences, other seminars you're going? What are you going to get out of this week? Well, look, I mean, we, we chose Adweek Europe to launch our business, yeah. so it was really important to us that we did that. We thought it was the right environment for us to, um, to tell the advertising world why we exist and why we're here. So I think it's really important. It's, it was the number one on our calendar this year. I mean, look, I'm really interested to see how, obviously, how influencer marketing is being spoken about. And it's interesting, mm. even from last year, there's an increase in coverage, there's an increase of programming. Sure. I really hope the next year, you know, the, the track becomes longer uh, and it moves off. It's just for today and how, and how it spreads across the rest of the week. But ultimately, we, we think influencer marketing uh, has a really sustainable future. Um, so I'm really intrigued to see how other commentators speak about it. And outside of influencer marketing, have you had a look at the um, agenda? Is there anything, anything else that's, that's caught your eye? I think I'm, I'm, really, I'm always really intrigued about um, anything related to content storytelling and how brands are moving into that space. Um, so I'm going to be keeping a keen eye on, um, on how brands start to work with content agencies, how other publishers are setting up content agencies and, and looking at ways to, to bring more services to brands direct in that space. Right, Oliver, that is fantastic. And uh, next up, we've got Curtis. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Okay, thanks very much for joining me, uh, Curtis. You are very welcome. So we're here on the first day of Adweek Europe. Uh, I mean, you've had a chance to look at the uh, the agenda, but you're not actually attending, are you, this year? Is that right? Uh, no, I'm not, actually. Okay, I mean, is, is, there a, is there a reason for that? I mean, you've had a look at the agenda. Is, is there anything that stood out? Is, is it an appealing agenda to someone like you? Or? I mean, for us at Adara, what, the things that I was really hoping to, to see at Adweek was really talking about Brexit and the impact that it would have in marketing. Um, and I think there's a couple sessions around that. But from a travel perspective, it's very important for us to understand what marketers are thinking around Brexit and how they're structuring their, their campaigns going forward. How are they going to communicate to their, their clients and customers in this uncertainty? Okay, so let's, let's just push back a minute because a lot of people won't have heard of Adara. Just give us yeah. a quick sell in, in, sure. in a minute. What, what, what exactly does Adara do and what's its USP? Sure. So Adara's USP is all around travel intelligence. Um, what we do is we work with a lot of our travel partners. We uh, ingest data into our co-op and then we make meaningful business outcomes out of that and help our marketers solve unique travel problems using business, uh, business intelligence and travel data. So one of the things that we do is we work with travel intelligence predictions and we're yeah. able to then go back into our clients and tell them we know what travelers need next and this is how you can help them. Okay, and who are you, I mean, just give us a, a feel of the, the size of the business and who, who are some of the clients you're working with? Yeah, so the size of the business is about 290 people globally. And you're um, in the UK, are you too? I, I'm based in the UK okay. and uh, my team in EMEA is about 45 people. Uh, we have offices around the world in APAC, uh, in MENA, in the UK, and in the US. Um, in terms of some of our biggest clients, we have all the airlines, hotels, and uh, car rental agencies covered. So the likes of American Airlines, or United Airlines, um, mm -hmm. we're working with big hotel groups like Marriott, um, big uh, car rental agencies like Avis and Budget. Okay. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned Brexit there. I guess Brexit will be a... Uh, like a lot of conferences, be a big theme this year at Adweek Europe. Um, what uh, impact has it had? What are the noises? What's the mood music you're hearing from your, your clients? I mean, has it changed this year at all? Or? It's definitely changed. I think this uncertainty has really kind of caused us to take a step back and really understand what is the impact this is going to have on marketing. 
for example, one of our clients has decided to pause one of their campaigns. Um, it's one of the, 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 the border controls uh, between Paris and London. They're really afraid that if they sell more tickets or too many tickets and there's uncertainty happens at the end of the month, that they potentially could have too many customers stuck at border control, right, in Paris or on the London side. So they've decided to pause some of the campaigns and wait for this to kind of shake out. So there's a so lot of So this is Eurostar then, yeah. Yeah, okay. so this, is, this would be an example of, of Eurostar. So we're really facing this kind of uncertainty, not only in terms of what the outcome is going to be for Brexit, but also what this means for our clients. So they put that, they put that campaign on hold. I mean, is that unusual then, or you're hearing that from a, a few clients? They're, they're, they're very, very wary about what's happening. Yeah, I think Eurostar has been very proactive in terms of this, and we're hearing a little bit of rumblings from the airline um, and the travel industry as well, in terms of they don't know actually what's going to happen with the whole no, potential no-border um, um, uh, sure. situation. Yeah, okay. I mean, is that what... what What's the name of the Eurostar campaign then? What's the campaign? Oh, it's just one of their tactical always on okay. campaigns that we tend to, tend to um, work on with them. Okay, so you're, um, I mean, you've had a look at the, uh, outside of Brexit, you've had a look at the agenda. I, I, I nipped into Adweek Europe this morning, uh, saw a bit of a speech from uh, Mark Reed, the boss at WPP, and Michael Roth, the boss of IPG. Uh, they were both interesting to a certain extent, but I think perhaps the Mark Reed one was more interesting because it was a lot more... Uh, wide-ranging. I mean, I know you're not attending Adweek Europe, but I guess you do attend uh, seminars and, and conferences. I mean, when you go to them, what are you looking to get out of it? Are you looking to learn things? Are you looking to meet people? Or Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think three things that I always try tend to go and look for when I go to these conferences is what kind of thought leadership is, is out there? What are people talking about? What are the new buzzwords? And people uh, sort of anticipating are going to be the next things that they need to work on from a, from a marketing perspective. Second thing is, what kind of ideas are people coming together and collaborating on, right? And how are we attacking the certain uh, challenges as an industry? So from a publisher side, an advertiser side, and from a technology side, are there things that we can do better together? Um, and the third thing is just, yeah, definitely networking and seeing who, are, who, who else is out there and the emerging technologies that are coming out to play. Okay, and any of the themes in Adweek Europe surprise you? I guess there's the usual things about the uh, the future of the big holding groups, the future of media agencies, in housing, yeah. a bit about data privacy. I mean, they're, they're kind of the usual suspects, aren't they? I mean, yeah, we seem to see the same things over and over. When whether we go to New Mexico or Cannes, it seems like those are the kind of four or five topics. I think one of the things that I was really hoping to see is what is life like post GDPR. Right, okay. we we went through such a big uh, yeah. a big process uh, beginning of this year, and a lot of again a lot of uncertainty. So for me, this is kind of a second second wave of, of what's happening with Brexit. Is what are we doing post GDPR? How's that impacted our business? Have we just resumed and kind of forgot about it, or is it something that we're going to have to readdress later on? And what should businesses be doing post GDPR? I mean, what are they doing? I, yeah, it's kind of you're right. It's kind of you don't hear so much about it now, do you at all? I wish what I wish and hope for is that businesses can share their experiences right so we can all learn together so if there's another wave of something else that's coming along then we can show those best practices that we've learned or how have we helped our clients you know address uncertainty in, in a GDPR world um, how, how we as an industry come together and solve those problems um, because you know the California Act is coming in the US very soon this is going to uh, probably hit APAC in some way down the line so as global community how are we as a digital digital entity helping our, our brothers and sisters around the world Mm. I mean, there seems a whole um, uh, debate, isn't there, about more broadly uh, about data and personal data. I know uh, Tim Cook at uh, Apple was talking about uh, companies 
um, the collection of huge amount of data is, 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 is harming society. Mm. I mean, that, that's a, I guess that's a big topic. I mean, do you have a view on that at all? Or? Yeah, I mean, for me, for us at Adara as well, you know, we are very transparent about our data. The reason why we have such great data partners is that we're completely transparent about the, how the data is used. And it's used in a, in a way that is hopefully helping customers in a travel experience have a much more better and positive experience. So imagine you coming to the BA site, knowing that you're already a loyal member and being, making sure that you get the best offers tailored to you, right? Our data is helping power that, that, that experience. So what we're trying to do is make sure that, you know, when we, when we say, you know, traveler intelligence and predictive behaviors, making sure that we know how you're going to travel and what do you need next after you've mm. purchased your flight or hotel room. Okay. Right. And just, uh, just finally, last couple of questions. Can you just, uh, for the rest of 2019, can you just give the listeners a bit of a feel what Adara's, what Adara's up to for the rest of the year? Absolutely. So uh, we have a couple things. We're, we're definitely pivoting towards an enterprise model. So again, not trying to be a, a media supplier, a line item on a media supplier, but actually enable our marketers to utilize our data in a much more powerful way so that we can give them access to that. We can become much more consultative about how to use our data to solve actual travel business problems. Right? What, what does that mean, enterprise? And what does that actually mean? So that means using a suite of our products. Okay. So not just using one in terms of just yeah. being a media, media partner or a data partner, but actually using like, utilizing a uh, uh, the suite of products. So we have a uh, solution called DAS, which is our data as a solution, where we're able to empower uh, travel audiences or travel clients to use our audience behaviors to help them better monetize their, their own products. Okay. And what, I mean, personally, I mean, what, what else is anything, I mean, what, what, what's kind of the themes, I guess, is about uh, conferences for this podcast. Would you look to go to any other conferences this year or not? I mean, is that, are they important? Yeah, absolutely. I think Cannes and New Mexico will be a huge, huge uh, influential um, conferences to attend this year, just to see, again, what is post-GDPR, what is post-Brexit looking like in, in a lot of these companies, how have they addressed it, and what, are they, what solutions do they need to help answer new business problems that they're facing because of these Okay, Curtis, that is fantastic. Uh, uh, do listen uh, tomorrow because we'll be back again with more from Adweek Europe.